Funding for Elwood City Limits is provided by Christopher Ifill, Ian Collis, John Dulong, Josias Melendez, Leanne S., Light Relentless, and Poolside123. If you'd like to support the podcast and get a little something for your trouble, go to patreon.com slash elwoodcitylimits. hear that lighter flick no you're not listening to the carter five you're listening to elwood city limits the episodic arthur podcast are we up to five now is that what we're up to well there was a break you see birdman was suing lil wayne and he couldn't release a carter album for like 10 years it's been like 10 years since the carter four uh but now he's free from his his legal problems and he released the Carter Five. We've been into we've been in the Carter Exile for a decade. No, I know it's it's pretty incredible, and you can tell which songs are from 2012 and which songs were recorded like this year. There's a it's <laughs> it's interesting. The album kind of the the album kind of acts as a throwback of sorts in that there are um, songs that definitely have an older sound to them. It's interesting to see how much rap music has changed over the years, and then there's the songs that are a little bit more current. Oh, Overall, I, though, positive, positive thoughts on the Carter Five. Oh, I bet that must that must be wild. Especially, it's like uh, it, I don't think it, it, I don't think it's as egregious necessarily, but it's like kind of listening to uh, Chinese Democracy, Guns and Roses when that came out, and just I see what you're saying though. That, that's a that's kind of a good comparison. Not nearly as long, uh, kind of in the oven was that one, but uh, yeah, just kind of going through all the different styles, and not to mention like the different musicians that were working on that album. Just like wow, this is this sounds like a hundred different things at once. Well, right, like the Carter Five, it's it's got songs with Travis Scott and the now deceased XXX Tentacion, but there's also songs with like Ashanti. Nice. Was the last time you heard from Ashanti? You know what I mean? So. Um, Last weekend when I played her music uh, in my living room. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Were Uh, you trying to text Nelly on Microsoft Excel at the same time? (laughs) Can't believe we didn't. Can't believe we didn't notice that at the time. Uh, Yes, my co-host Lucas Mancini is correct. This is Elwood City Limits. Say hello, Lucas. Hello, hello. And my name is Will Young. We are your hosts going through, uh, right now, season five of Arthur, one episode at a time. Thank you for joining us. And, of course, always uh, welcome to uh, go into a little bit of a dalliance into rap and the hip-hop every once in a while. Yeah, we're going to be doing things uh, a little bit differently. You may have noticed uh, right up at the beginning uh, we did not have our uh, normal... Uh, social media roll call, and uh, we're going to be putting that into a little bit of a different part of the episode. Uh, Let us know what you think of that. Uh, Speaking of letting us know what you think of things, we're going to be getting into your emails in just a second here. Uh, Lucas, um, this is a good reason why I have a Google alert for Arthur, because every once in a while, that Google alert strikes gold, and uh, I found an article, a very interesting article, which American states... Love Arthur, according to Google Trends. Ooh. What can I guess? So I'll just I'll just tell you that uh, this was an article that took you know the most I think it was like the most watched PBS show uh, per like uh, each and every all the fifty states 
and then according to Google Trends, and there are six states that love Arthur the most. More than Sesame Street, more than uh, Between the Lions, more than Cyber Chase, more than Peppa Pig. Wow. See, that, that's impressive. So if you wanna if you wanna throw six states out there, uh, be my guest. Ooh. Um, well, oh, just get an idea. Yeah, I just got an idea. Yeah, that was that was the sound of my my dome piece working away <laughs> at which states. Uh, I'm gonna say uh, whatever three states make up the New England area. So that includes you know your your Massachusetts. Your the other Rhode Island, whatever the other two states in New England are. Okay. Uh, and I'm also gonna say New York State probably likes Arthur quite a bit. That brings me up to four. Uh, Illinois in the Midwest, and then California. Okay. Uh. Well, I think you're. I'm. I'm. I'm willing to say that you're half right. Uh, so I, I t- as I tend to be <laughs> about most things. So let me explain. Uh, the six states that love Arthur the most are Connecticut, which is close to New York State, Georgia, down in the dirty south. One of your guesses, Illinois. Mm-hmm. I believe this was also another one of your guesses, since it, I think it's one of the three like Rhode Islandish states. Maryland. Be more. Uh, I don't know if Maryland's in New England. Yeah, uh, I, might, I, I wouldn't give me that one. Okay. Call that a scratch. Uh, Michigan. And Mich- Michigan makes sense because it's so close. To, it's so gosh darn close to Canada. And Nevada. Really? So That's if you, not one I would have guessed. So if you live in one of those six states, congratulations. You love Arthur the most. Could you imagine if Elwood City? That's the we've been spending this whole time speculating on where Elwood City is. It's actually in the middle of the Nevada desert. Oh man, maybe maybe these are the six. Maybe these are the six. I mean, you know, we you we've said Massachusetts is, and like Chicago are. Uh, I think we have even said Maryland before that it's like it, Baltimore is a is a good guess because it's a port town. Um, yeah, it's similar similar sort of uh, environmental makeup as like a Boston. Well, there you go. The six states that love Arthur the most for our American listeners there. And now going over to our listeners at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Last week um, there was a uh, there was a math question. Now, I like this. The last couple of times that I've put forth a math question, like a word problem from the show, we have actually gotten pretty good responses to them. And uh, this this week is no different. Uh, first, my favorite part about this is that I don't have to come up with the answer. <laughs> Me too. Math is really not my thing. Uh, we've got uh, a response here from Leanne, and Leanne is responding to this math question. Hey guys, so I went ahead and answered the math question that was asked from Francine in the episode. It's a no-brainer. Uh, go see our previous episode if you uh, want to know what that is. The question itself isn't too hard, but I imagine I can imagine it being hard for a third grader. I remember learning about pi in grade 7. Seems a little off for their age in terms of difficulty. I always found that on kids' TV shows, they seem to have math and science problems that are out of the range of difficulty for that particular age group. For example, that one math problem from a few episodes back about the ice cream in the train, or about the concept between night and day in the episode Prove It. Anyway, here's the answer to the math problem. X equals... Pi, there's an ask, there's a star here. I don't know what that means. Oh, I think that's times. X equals pi times y to the power of 2, where y is the square root 
of 78. Since the square root and to the power of 2 cancel each other out for y, we are left with pi times 78, which equals to about 245.04. So there you now go. We know. Question, question answered. And if you don't know, now you know. know. However, we also have another one from listener Earthcat. Uh, and a little bit of uh, of Beach Boys in here, too. Let me explain. Dear Will and Lucas, I noticed last episode that you didn't know the major parts of the U.S. As, uh, yeah, I, th- I think tr- trying to pass off Maryland as a, as a Rhode Island state kind of outed us right there. Luckily for you, the Beach Boys made a partially inaccurate mnemonic for you to use in the first minute of California Girls. Are you familiar with the song? Uh, I, I think I am, but uh, so what was, what were we talking about when we were talking about parts of the U S that we don't know? I'm sure that's a weekly occurrence on this show, <laughs> but I, I'm trying to remember, recall the specific conversation. Um, it may have been talking about, I feel like last week we were talking about like Minnesota and, uh, that sort of thing. I can't yeah, see it, it, it really is like, it's becoming a staple of the show. Like we don't know U S geography as well as we think we do. Uh, so from California Girls, if you've never heard the song, well, East Coast girls are hip. I really dig those styles they wear. And the Southern girls, with the way they talk, they knock me out when I'm down there. The Midwest farmer's daughters really make you feel all right. And the Northern girls, with the way they kiss, they keep their boyfriends warm at night. The Northeast is the part with New York, Boston, Philadelphia, and such. The South is the part with Southern accents like Texas, Tennessee, and Georgia. The Midwest is the part between the Northeast and the West, and above the South were the Dakotas and Michigan and lots and lots of farms. Uh, really, this part should be in the Mid-North since it's really just like Northern states. To finish up, the map is Western U.S., designated by the titular California Girls. Besides California, New Mexico, Montana, and Washington, the state are also Western. I know they wanted to split up the parts of the U.S. that aren't California into four parts to make a better-sounding se- song, but really there isn't a northern part of the U.S. as much as there is the northeastern and midwest part. Also, Florida, despite the logical assumption that it would be southern, is kind of its own thing, like Hawaii and Alaska. All right, so a little bit of a geogra- uh, geography answer there. And Erzcat also has a um, an answer to the uh, math question. So they say, also, if x equals pi times y to the power of 3, and y is the square root of 78, x equals pi times 78 times 3 over 2, pa- sorry, pronounced x equals pi times 78 to the power of 3 halves, or approximately tw- 2,164.172. And uh, Urz even shares, uh, uh, shows their work. Wait, is that a different answer? Yes, it is. I think so. Oh my goodness. We have competing... Math, something where there's nothing left to up interpretation. We have two completely different answers. This might go into next week. I have to get to the bottom of this now. Yeah, and it, I'm certainly not the one to judge any math competition, but uh, Leanne and Urz, if you if you two want to have it out, be my guest. But also, but maybe, maybe I think it was me who said that uh, Florida was part of the South, and I think the only reason I said that is because of all the Florida Bama Shore I've watched. Florida, Bama, Shore? Mm-hmm. People go from Alabama uh, down to the part that touches, uh, the part of Florida that touches Alabama, and there's a shore there. Um, it's sort of a spiritual successor to MTV's The Jersey Shore, except it takes place on the Florida, Bama Shore. Huh. And uh, I forgot to mention that hijinks ensue. 
I can't say I've heard of it before you said it right now. Worth watching? Uh, mileage may vary depending on what you're looking for. It turned, you turned into a pterodactyl there thinking about it. All right, so from Florida Bama Shore and our emails, thank you, Leanne and Erzcat, uh, we go to the episode. We were talking about a part of the world, but this one is the world record. And we started off with Arthur, who's hosting in a very nice-looking tuxedo number. Uh, in front of a giant TV. This reminded me of, what's that show called? Is it Ridiculousness? The one with Rob Deerdeck, where he's standing on the giant laptop? I don't know if I know what you're talking about. It's like a Tosh.0 style show hosted by a skateboarder, and he's standing on a giant laptop. And it's not like a CGI laptop, like they built a set, it's a big old laptop. It's got to be called Ridiculousness with Rob Deerdeck. Let me look this up real quick. TV series. Yeah, Rob Deerdeck. Ridiculousness. Nope. It began on August 29th, 2011. Hey, my 21st birthday. Uh, it's hosted by Rob Deerdeck, Sterling Stilo Brim, and ooh, Chanel West Coast. Yikes. Um, yeah, he has a giant... We don't see a lot of, like, giant screens on set. We have the giant uh, laptop from Ridiculousness, and then Arthur has this huge TV that he's standing next to uh, wearing his tux with a wired microphone, like he's cutting a promo on New Japan Pro Wrestling or something. <laughs> Good call. Uh, yeah, Arthur is indeed cutting a New Japan promo on the Arthur Reed Book of World Records and uh, what would be in his book. And he highlights uh, some of his friends, such as Francine, who can play the drums louder than anybody. Francine has a little bit of a, of a punk look to her here, a bit of a rock look. He's doing a walk and talk with uh, with Buster about how Buster has told the most jokes, uh, and he tells a really bad one. He tells a cannibal joke on this on this. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was kind of dark for Arthur too. I know it's like whimsical because it's like, why did the cannibal? Uh, what did the cannibal have say after he ate the clown? This guy tastes funny. Yeah. Um, but still, like pretty gruesome imagery yeah for real i was surprised brain has said the most things that arthur doesn't understand and thing and, and and at this point and this point in my adulthood i actually did understand what brain was saying so yeah i also understood what brain was saying arthur time to hit the books practice what you preach and then dw uh much like owen hart has two awards she has uh the most episodes of mary Mukow watched and getting Arthur in trouble the most times. In fact, she gets Arthur in trouble here uh, as she yells at Mom that he's bothering her. And then she... She also does a quick change. Yeah, she has a tux now. And so she she takes over hosting duties while Arthur's in trouble. So yeah, this this whole episode is based around, um, well, world records. And that's, that's kind of how it starts. They're reading a world record book in uh, the treehouse, all of the gang. And they're kind of thinking about... Uh, their own versions of uh, world records. So, do you uh, you ever try and uh, break a world record while we're at it? No, I don't think so. Um, I shows like this, like episodes of kids TV, where people break world records. I feel like give kids unrealistic expectations. It's similar to our uh, searching for gold episode or fo dinosaur fossils, where it's like, oh, if you go to the uh, the creek, you can find a dinosaur fossil. That's like that never happens. Uh, I feel like kids aren't he breaking records here and there. It's actually pretty not common. Um, though, if you listen to Dan Reichert from Giant Bomb tell it, apparently all you need to do to break a world record is play any game series for three days straight or two days straight, I think, um, and just make sure you call the world record people ahead of time so they can send someone over 
to uh, watch you do that. It's actually not that hard as long as you're down to play like some game series for 48 hours uh, with bathroom breaks and stuff like that. You can break pretty much a world record easily. You just have to pay to have the uh, Guinness guy come and monitor you. What a job that must be, uh, the, like, record facilitator or, you know, the person who has to, like, witness a record. Yeah, it must be a bummer when they don't do it. Yeah, like, you you must get used to the failure because uh, I'd really like to know how that works. That's what this episode made me think of. It's just, like, I'd really like to know how what the process is of verifying a world record. So in some cases, like in things where it can be proven by like paperwork and stuff, I think they just need to send that in. But in anything like the only one I really know about the uh, uh, the practice of it is the the video game marathon stuff that Dan Riker did, and he, they actually sent a physical person uh, to come and and uh, monitor uh, what they were doing. Yeah, and I I mean I guess do they pay that person by the hour? Does that person like because that's all Guinness here in in the real world. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Very interesting. I, I'm I'm gonna look this up later. You know, it's world records. Like I, when I was younger, we had the Guinness Book of World Records 2000. I used to read that cover to cover. There's very, some very interesting stuff in there. I, and I don't even know if they do the physical Guinness World Records book anymore. They do, and they still do. That there's a one that's just for video games. I always see it in the bookstore next to all oh, the other video yeah. game books. Oh yeah, you're right. I see. I see that a lot too. And I ne- never read it, though, because it's it's crazy. They come out with a new one every year. That's nuts that, like, there's a video, there's just a video game offshoot now that's as thick as the regular one. We have a little bit of thinking about, thinking, thinking about uh, world records, uh, such as the smallest person and the tallest person. So we get a little bit of uh, Arthur here as uh, Yao Ming, perhaps. He's, like, eight foot, eight, eight feet, 11 inches tall, I believe, is the... I was wondering if these were all real records. Uh, specifically, after we talk about the tallest person being eight and a half, uh, eight, sorry, eight eleven, um, we then get the guy who walked backwards all around the world. Yeah, and I was like, that's just so odd. Uh, I wonder if it's real. Yeah, and it's like, what, like, what does that mean? Like, you, <laughs> like, you physically can't in some places. So, how did that work? Like this, yeah, did he stand like with his back to the front of the ship as a, a, a ship crossed the Atlantic Ocean? Uh, did he ride backwards via jet ski? How did that work? Or did he just walk backwards on a treadmill enough that it was the length of the world? Something like that. Like people who do treadmill climbs off Everest, uh, even though they're just sort of doing the distance and not actually doing the climb. Hmm. This episode, This episode makes me feel like Starship Troopers because I would like to know more. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we and we get one where Binky is particularly inspired by somebody who grew a beard over seventeen feet long. This inspires everybody to try and break a world record of their own. Uh, oh yeah, the one that that inspires Brain is that apparently Thomas Edison uh, has the record for most inventions. There should be a clarification there that it is the record for stealing the most inventions. <laughs> that just reminded me of the uh, of the Simpsons episode where Homer tries to uh, be an inventor. I I, I think that. Uh, uh, sort of last week we were talking about how the public opinion on uh, water animal parks has kind of soured. I think that people look at Edison a lot less fondly uh, these days because with uh, the benefit of more historical evidence, it seems like he wasn't actually the greatest kind of guy. Like he did do some pretty incredible things, but he stole a lot of inventions from Tesla. He was really good at getting other people to do things and then taking credit. Well, that's what that's what that's what they that I mean that's what they say about artists that they steal. But when it comes to inventors, I guess 
anything can potentially be fair game. So everybody goes off to try and break their own world record. And Arthur's is that he wants to create the world's tallest uh, card structure. He has a an imagination. And I, oh, sorry, I should also mention that Buster uh, wants to be the person who walks uh, backwards around the world. So he'll just kind of walk backwards everywhere that he goes. Uh, Arthur has this imagination where he like literally creates this building out of cards and it's called Arthur Heights, which is a great name for a building. And DW like slams the door shut and she just seems so I love how nonchalant she seems, just like slams the door, then just goes, Oops, and the building collapses. Even the one before we get into the imagination version of it where it's like giant, the one he's building on his table is pretty sizable. I've never been good at making a house of cards. I could barely get one that's more than like three triangles hot all. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, like it seems like a lot it seems like a lot of work. It's like uh when you watch uh compilations on YouTube of like domino structure fails and just like, "Oh, this was 15,000 dominoes and oh, there it goes." And it just seems like the most soul-crushing work. Nadine is also trying to uh, break a world record for uh, longest time spent hiccuping. Well, I'm not sure if it's it, it, like I think DW wants uh, Nadine to break the record. I think Nadine is just simply stuck with the hiccups. Yeah. I think if she wanted to stop, she couldn't. I got to admit that in terms of talking about this episode structure, it's kind of difficult because a lot of it is just kind of uh, short vignettes of like the kids trying to not trying to break world records and failing. So, like, Francine's uh, bouncing a soccer ball uh, on her foot, like, and then Buster accidentally walks into her. Muffy, well, Muffy's... Will, we can't gloss over Buster's Road Warriors outfit where he's got the <laughs> he's got the hockey pads or whatever those are that he's fastened two car mirrors to. They're not even car mirrors. They look like they're from an 18-wheeler. Um, that somehow he's fastened to this, like, Road Warriors outfit, so he's able to essentially cheat, and um, he'll have the mirrors in front of him, and so he can see behind him and, and still walk backwards. It's a pretty ingenious solution, uh, albeit impractical. Yeah, here comes the axe, here comes the smasher, Buster Baxter, walking disaster. <laughs> he should have no-sold when he uh, ran into Muffy and, and Francine. He should have just jumped back up immediately. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he accidentally walks into Francine and messes her up. He mess he walks into Muffy too, and she's trying to go the longest without speaking, and then ends up yelling at him. So they have to start over. In Muffy's case, she just ends up kind of ditching it. Uh, Binky tries to make the world's longest popsicle stick bridge, but uh, he ends up eating like twenty five popsicles and makes himself sick. And Buster's like, "My mom once made a lampshade out of popsicle sticks," and she's and he's like, "How did she even eat that many?" She's like. She she just bought him at a craft store. That's the that's the that's the kid logic there, not realizing that you don't have you don't have to be a sucker and eat twenty five popsicles. Next thing is Nadine's living in hell. She's <laughs> she's living a waking nightmare, uh, where she's hiccuping all the time, and DW's like, "We can beat this record." Uh, and it like you could see like Nadine seems physically visibly uncomfortable every time we see her just because she's like stuck hiccuping and I can I, I I feel her pain. Yeah, imagine. Uh, and then, oh, sorry. No, it's all right. Uh, imagine try imagine trying to force yourself to continue hiccuping. Oh, sounds awful. And then uh, I'd have to eat so much bread and like Sprite. <laughs> um, and, and, and then uh, uh, Arthur's trying to he's trying to eat the most bugs or yeah, ugh, these bugs are creepy crawly. 
Yeah, usually people would eat bugs. It's like at the Discovery Center here in Halifax. You can eat, like, dried mealworms. Yeah. But this is just, like, a, a, a cornucopia. He's got, like, a bunch of different types of bugs to varying levels of, like, all gross. It's like a live caterpillar. He's got the, like he's got all these bugs in different Dixie cups, and one of them is like, like a fl- like a fly and a friggin' like caterpillar with like blue eyes and ugh, god, that's really really disgusting. Uh, even almost as disgusting as Muffy's nails. Oh, thank when, you. When um, Arthur is pontificating about maybe Muffy could try and grow the longest fingernails, uh, and then we get her with like the giant. It's like something out of a Guillermo del Toro movie. <laughs> Uh, the giant fingernails she uses to click off a light switch from her bed in an imagination sequence. Yeah, ugh, ugh. That, 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 like, I had to take a note about that one. That was disgusting. Especially, I mean, it's a, a cartoon is one thing, but if you see, like, these super long fingernails in real life, it, like, makes it even worse. Speaking of gross, DW tries to eat the bugs. Yeah, and then gets Arthur in trouble. Um, Brain... Thinks he's going to invent an RC, basically, like, lawn water. Pretty yeah. sure that's already been invented. I think late, Brain's a little late to that one. Uh, I like how uh, all of Brain... Brain has had a couple of plane-related inventions, and they always they never, ever work. Like it, Well, yeah, there's no really a reason for this one not to work, which is funny. Like, it's a, a hose attached to an RC plane, um, and then the RC plane just kind of bugs out and crashes for no apparent reason. And Braid's like, I gotta work the bugs out. But I don't think Braid built the plane. Like, I think it's just a store-bought RC plane that he fastened a hose to. So what bugs are there to work out? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, there, Yeah, it's it's really, as far as inventions go, it's pretty simple. So uh, not a whole lot of, yeah, you, you, you're right on the money there. But then Arthur t- uh, takes this moment when everybody has, almost everybody has failed their uh, world record uh, attempts to say that they should all work together and they decide they want to try and make the world's largest pizza. And uh, there's a sequence here where Arthur gets everybody together. Arthur's very good at delegating tasks. Like he like he um, says, like, you know, Muffy, you're, you're in charge of getting donations. Uh, Brain and Binky, you're going to make the... Um, the, the, the what? The, the thing that they're going to put the pizza dough on. Uh, Buster's in charge of telling the news media because his mother works at the newspaper. It's like, these are all, this is all really good logistical planning. I think we found Arthur's secret skill. You know, Arthur's always so down of himself. Obviously, Francine's the athletic one. Uh, Buster's specialty is that he's funny. Um, Brain is the smart one. We never really get a lot of, like, what's Arthur good at besides reading. Um, And I think we found it. He's a good, he's got great interpersonal skills. He's good at business administration. He's good at strategic planning. You know, putting together a a, a SWAT grid, you know, trying to uh, uh, delineate tasks. Uh, We've really found Arthur's skill set here. Yeah, he's like, in in less a way than, say, maybe Francine is, it's like he is quietly a pretty good leader, which, I mean, goes, goes to show. I mean, it is his show after all. So, yeah, they're going to make this uh, giant pizza. When Arthur's not on screen, the other characters should be asking, where's Arthur? <laughs> I don't know if po- I don't know how great a leader Poochie is, though. <laughs> it's a little bit of a montage here of everybody uh, going about their tasks, and they're, gonna- they're all set to make the giant pizza. Um, but Arthur's a little bit doubtful about it, and he's... Uh, in fact, we kind of... Let's fast forward to the-, the day that they try and make the pizza... 
uh, he's got a couple of his friends and his dad just like making different uh, bundles of dough on a table out on the soccer field at school. And uh, but everybody's kind of getting tired. It's not exactly going to schedule as Arthur planned it. And uh, he is afraid that they're going to go down as the biggest like failed record in history. And we get which is still a record. He says like I'm gonna I'm gonna win a world record for like the worst record attempt ever, which is still something notable. Yeah, at least it's something. I I don't I don't have that. I won't be remembered for that. I mean, at least not at the rate we're going. And Arthur imagines that he has to uh, like hide his face with a paper bag. Um, it, oh, it, so this is my favorite part of the episode. It reminds me of um, uh, uh, when Shia LaBeouf. Uh, came to that red carpet with the paper bag over his head that said, I'm not famous anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good one, man. I forgot all about that. That's oh, that's great. Um, yeah, and it's it's like a paper bag with his glasses poking out, and there's like a paparazzi guy, and he's like, that's Arthur Reed. He was responsible for the giant pizza fiasco. <laughs> good wor- Good use of the word fiasco. Always like that. It seems that all hope might be lost with everybody kind of taking a break and they're behind schedule. But then everybody comes back and they end up bringing the whole town, question mark, with them. And uh, we get a little montage of everybody making the world's largest pizza. And uh, you- Yeah, they fill a, 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 a trash can up with sauce and then somehow they hook up a hose to it and then hook up the hose to Brain's RC car. So that comes back around mm-hmm. and... He invents the pizza, the giant pizza sauce, put her on her. And they, um, I will say, you you said that this kind of set unrealistic expectations for making a world record. This, for me, this episode makes making pizza look really easy, like making it from scratch. Oh, well, yeah, because making pizza, if you just buy the crust, like if you buy like a, some flatbread, it actually is fairly easy. But if you have to make the dough yourself, then I, w- I wouldn't even know where to start. No, certainly not. And they do, like, like you say, they use the hose for the sauce and all this kind of stuff, and they make the world's largest pizza, which is about the size of the soccer field. We don't get a confirmation from the, whatever the world record book is that this is indeed the world's largest yeah. pizza, but we just have to assume, I guess. If nothing else, it was in the newspaper because we see Bitsy taking pictures. Uh, her own photographer, it seems, for for the uh, for the newspaper. I I gotta say, uh, I a pizza that's this big can't be certainly can't be the best tasting pizza, right? No, I, I hope they clean that trash can before they were mixing the sauce <laughs> in it. Um, and if you look at the way they're laying the pizza on those coals, there's no way some of that pizza did not touch the ground. Yeah, that's a it's, it's risky business that. Um, at this point throughout the episode, Buster's still walking backwards, and then he accidentally walks forward uh, to get a slice of pizza. Uh, this is pretty much the end of the episode. Uh, like DW asks, how long the person, the, how long it would take to break the world's hiccuping record? And I think it was like what a matter of several years or something. Sixty years. 60 the guy years. had the guy had the hiccups for sixty years. Did you know? Did you uh, pay attention to Francine eating her pizza as? Uh, she was behind DW in this scene. No, I didn't even notice this. Oh man, like, <laughs> I think it's really funny. You you should go back and like look at it. She's just like chowing down on this piece of pizza, and then and the face that she makes while she's chewing is really funny. Oh, I see it now. Like a lot of that's the, a lot of the pizza's not staying in her mouth. It seems it's kind of odd. Yeah, it's the the, the flecks are really flying out, and that's kind of it. That's pretty much it for the world record. 
and we're going to come back with the second half of this Elwood City Limits episode right after this. Hi there, Elwood City Limits listener. Just a quick note here from your buddy, your pal, Will Young, that this show is supported by all of you listeners just like you by the following ways. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter at ECL Podcast. Tumblr, ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. And Instagram at Elwood City Limits. Drop us a line on social media. We'd love to hear from you and give us a like, a heart, whatever it is. Email ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. You can get your email read here on the air. Just send it to us and uh, let us know what you think of the episode, of the show, of anything in particular that we might have talked about or that's on your mind. And you can find the podcast by going to ElwoodCityLimits.Libsyn.com and you can find it at your local podcast provider. Now, if the show is not on a service that you use all the time and you'd like to change that, make sure to drop us a line and we will get it on there as soon as possible. All right, let's get back to the episode now, already in progress. And we're back. All right, let's get into the second half of this Arthur episode. It's The Cave. Speaking of The Cave, uh, I feel like in the last couple of seasons, we've really gone back to caveman times a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's kind of become uh, a new trope in the openings is... uh, uh, we're sort of getting running out of, of, of Ferris Buellerisms for Arthur to talk about. Uh, so now we're going into the, uh, in the beginning, there was this. There was light. And, 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 the word was, and the word was with Arthur, and the word was Arthur. Or something like that. Yeah, it's Arthur talking about the invention of light and how it's kind of changed from caveman times to modern day. So it's like the cavemen had to make a fire. Uh, and then that graduated to torches, that graduated to gas lamps, and then eventually that graduated to light bulbs. We get another, we get another uh, Thomas Edison, not just a reference here, but an appearance by young Thomas Edison. I know, it reminded me of how in season one they would kind of loosely try to thematically tie the two stories together, and I guess in this one it was someone mentioned Thomas Edison in the previous episode, and Thomas Edison appears in this episode. Did you, uh, I gotta say, uh, especially considering the way that Thomas Edison looked in, like, real life, the uh, younger Thomas Edison they have in this cold open here, kind of handsome. Well, okay, if we want to talk about handsome characters at Arthur episodes, yeah, uh, stay tuned for the end of this one. Oh, you know what? Wasn't even thinking of it, but we're going to get there for sure. In fact, we'll have to give him a name. The end of the cold open is like Arthur saying like, oh yeah, light bulbs were invented and they were used to light up whole cities and then DW presses the off switch and Arthur gets scared. Um, in fact, we hear the stock Arthur scream come out of him. And do you think it's weird hearing the old Arthur noises while the new Arthur voice is kind of trucking along? I didn't even think about that, but you're right. It is a little strange, isn't it? Just a little bit jarring and... Uh, I wonder if they keep those stock noises as we get to, like, an actual new voice, which we will uh, next season, I believe. So this episode is based around a diorama that uh, the kids are making, and it's of, I, ju- I think it's just of a cave, cave dioramas? Yeah. And kind of talking about the things that can occur in there, like bats and, bats and stalactites are the ones that are uh, brought up the most. For some reason, like, kids shows always, like, they love playing jokes about stalactites and stalagmites. 
that's like a common theme within kids shows is like, oh, is it a stalactite? Is it a stalagmite? They love talking about them. Mm -hmm. I just know that if it wasn't for children's. It wasn't really a part of Canadian science curriculum. If it wasn't for children's shows, I don't think I would ever have even thought or considered stalactites or stalagmites. But they're a big part of cartoon discourse, it seems. <laughs> That's a great point. I never thought about that, but you're totally right. Every time something cave-related comes up, that seems to be right behind. It's just it, it, it's just a classic bit, I guess. Uh, scare quotes on classic. And do you remember? Do you remember which one's which? Um. So, <sighs> see the episode's fresh in our head. Well, no, no, this is bad. Okay. Uh, I think stalagmites are the ones that come down from the from above, and stalactites Ooh. are the ones that come up from the bottom i don't i don't think i know either all right another <laughs> another google search is in order I thought you, now you got me second guessing myself i thought you did uh speaking speaking of speaking tights. of weekly occurrences uh lucas lucas uh uh tries google Ooh, i got bad news what's up oh is it the other way around a stalactite uh it hangs from the ceiling oh. a stalagmite comes from the bottom oh See, I'm glad nobody comes to us for, like, anything resembling important information because it's clear that... You know, important information, like the difference between <laughs> stalactites and stalagmites. Maybe somebody... Something may that uh, has a huge element in your day-to-day. -day. Maybe somebody's wondering, and they're just like, well, these 20-year-old men won't steer us wrong. Brother, we will steer you all kinds of wrong. So the big thing here is that they've got these cave dioramas, and at the end of the week, they're going to the Clark Caves... So they're going to be going uh, spelunking, kind of. Uh, as, we have as a great future. moment where uh, uh, Mr. Rapper's like, the cave dioramas are due tomorrow. And then Buster immediately goes, what? Ah! Which is, like, very similar to how I react whenever someone in my... Now I'm taking... Uh, uh, I'm in classes again. Uh, whenever someone says something, yeah, this is due on Thursday. I go, what? <laughs> it's, that, it's, it's that very relatable horror of just like, that's due tomorrow? And it's the stock buster scream. And speaking of stock stock uh, character noises as well. I feel like in the run of this show, Elbit City Limits, we have done a lot of DW uh, defending. I feel like we've done that a lot. We, but we're usually very quick to say like, hey, if you don't like DW, this episode might annoy annoy you. Like because there, unfortunately, there are some DW haters out there. I am loath to acknowledge them, but they do exist. It's actually been a while since we've had a a, a DW based episode. I feel like there hasn't been one in season five. Yeah, not a, not a solo focus that I can remember. But the closest we got was the Love Ducks. Yeah, that's right, and that and that was in season four. That wasn't even that was more of an ensemble slash Arthur highlight. Anyway. What I'm saying here is this is – I think I found my DW breaking point, and I kind of knew it coming into this episode from what I remembered about it. But, oh, man. Like, I just – I'll tell you this. There's a scene here where Arthur's at the dinner table, and uh, he says, like, yeah, we're going to be going to the Clark Caves this week. It's uh, a little scary. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a little nervous about it. And then DW pounces on him, and in, her, in, in this, her new voice – you know, it's just like, scaredy cat, scaredy cat, you're a, like, just starts friggin' screaming at Arthur just about how he's a scaredy cat. And I just wrote in all caps, shut up, DW. This is the first time I've That's ever. It's funny. I, I wasn't this. even perturbed by it. I guess I didn't really notice, uh, especially because she kind of gets her comeuppance. Uh, Arthur's parents usually don't take sides. Um, how could they? Because their, their, their children are constantly at each other. 
Um, but uh, uh, Arthur's dad is quick to be like, now, DW, that's enough. Yeah, you're right. But you don't usually hear them say. They yeah, they use a light they use a light touch with their kids. You're right. But I you know what? I think this is kind of a childhood thing of like when I was a kid, this annoyed the crap out of me and it must like it must just bring up the old memories cuz hmm. just man, DW was just on my last nerve on this episode. I I just know how hollow it rings because DW can't even watch an episode of Dark Buddy, let alone Go to a cave. People in glass houses. You know what I'm saying? Terrific, terrific point. Uh, we get we get a very story important beat here where uh, uh, Dad Reed. We get a flashback to his days as little Dad Reed when he was scared of being in a dark place. He would whistle a familiar tune and it would help him feel uh, safer. And it's like him. I loved. Uh, there's a touch here that his outfit kind of matches the colors of Arthur's outfit, albeit more bell bottomy, like 70s pants. Uh, and instead of wearing a a yellow uh, sweatshirt with a white collared shirt underneath, he's wearing a yellow rugby shirt with a uh, white collar. But it's all the same shirt. Yeah, I, li- I like that too. I made a note of it. Uh, very very nice synchronicity. It's like it's like poetry. They rhyme. Oh no! <laughs> you may not have noticed it. But your brain did. But your brain did. Arthur, at this point, is trying to get his cave diorama done. And the theme for DW's interactions for the rest of the show is that she's trying to essentially scare him, but just ends up coming off as annoying. I I will say this. I do like how part of DW's bit of, like, trying to scare Arthur is telling him how scared he is. She'll be like, (laughs) you are terrified. You are scared. It never got worse than... You know, the part at the kitchen table, at the dinner table. The other parts, it's like, it's fine enough. It's just, I think she got a, just a little too screechy for me at the uh, at the dinner table. We do get the cave dioramas the next day. Uh, some some choice quotes from Mr. Ratburn here. Uh, so, so Arthur, Arthur's is like a shoebox. Oh, yeah. So yeah. This, was, this was a little odd, this whole sequence. It's fun, but it's just kind of strange. Because um, it's this random sequence in the middle of the episode where, um, and it doesn't really have anything to do with the plot of the episode per se, but it's just Mr. Rapper and looking at everybody's cave. It's it's a typical ensemble joke where it's like, oh, what kind of cave diorama would Muffy make? What kind of cave diorama, di- diorama would uh, Arthur make? And which one would Brain make? Um, and so Arthur's is pretty basic. It probably looks like what I would have made, um, which is like, Upside down egg carton shells as uh, 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 the – do we come down on stalagmites, I believe? Um, and the, he has little bats hanging from the ceiling, but it's just a shoebox. Like, it's not cave-shaped. It's a it's a diorama. And Muffy's got this one that it looks like she paid for um, yeah. that is completely inaccurate. Uh, it's, Mr. Rapper kind of marvels at the moss that it's covered with, but it's also completely furnished. And has a heart-shaped door. It looks like a hobbit hole or something. Um, yeah, good and then uh, he immediately tastes Buster. He doesn't <laughs> ask him if it's cheese. He tastes Buster's. He doesn't ask him if it's cheese first. He just tastes it. It's like the part in Star Wars The Last Jedi where the guy just tastes the ground and he goes, it's salt. And it's like, why did you taste the ground? Like, what compelled you to taste the dirt that was on the ground? Mr. Rapper does this to Arthur Buster's project. He doesn't know that's cheese. He doesn't know that it's edible. It could be painter's clay for all he knows. Exactly. He goes, mmm, good cheese. He, he specifically says, ingenious use of cheese spread. Like, he must have, he must have known it by sight. Like, maybe that's the type that he buys for himself. 
I know, it, 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 you can't really tell because it's animated and it just kind of looks like goop. It looks like it's made out of the same stuff that Clayface from Batman's made out of. Yeah. But uh, uh, I was just like, it reminded me of that part from The Last Jedi where that guy just tastes the ground for no reason. Pretty much, yeah, basically looks in the camera just like, it's salt. <laughs> for when it looks like blood later, it's actually salt. Thanks, guy. Yeah, I, I will say, that I also liked his line when he goes to Arthur, he kind of like, Flicks one of the bats, and he's like, hmm, nice bats. Was of it, course. It was the delivery oh, on that one that I really liked. Uh, of course, we have uh, uh, always in the ensemble sequences, Binky remains to be the champion. He's always the highlight because Binky has a cave made of clay that is fairly accurate, certainly more accurate than any of the ones we've seen yet, except he just has chickens, like little chickens in his, in his cave. Yeah. And then Mr. Rappert's like, there's no chickens in caves. And then that's it. That's the whole joke. It's like an Invader Zim joke or something. It's very strange. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we finally get... The final one is Brains, which is, of course, the best one. And it's like glow-in-the-dark. And this is where we get a bit of foreshadowing that Mr. Ratburn is a bit is a bit scared of the dark because that's the whole through line of this episode is that like everybody's saying, like, oh, Arthur's afraid of caves and afraid of the dark. And uh, he even starts to believe it a bit himself. But there's actually other people that are just as scared, if not more scared. And Mr. Ratburn is one of them. Uh, so he's a bit nervous of the dark. We also get here, Francine is actually the primary antagonist to this episode. And she is back on her season one BS. Uh, you know, she's talking to Arthur in a baby voice like, Don't worry, Arthur. They're going to turn the lights on real soon. And she's not much better than DW in this episode, but I guess... No, the only thing that makes it better is the fact that, like, I remembered this episode, and I was like, oh, Francine, unlike DW, Francine's getting her comeuppance. Big time. Oh, big time. So, and, uh, and as opposed to other episodes where she's the bully and doesn't get her comeuppance, this was a, a nice little bit of change. We see all see all the caves and this kind of stuff. There, There is a part back at home where DW tries to... Uh, scare Arthur. She's hiding in a closet and like pops out with vampire fangs. But she uh, like calls Arthur over. She's like, Arthur, come help, help, please. And then Arthur, I love this. He just kind of looks at DW's room and is just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like just gives this this world weary groan. I I really like that touch. Arthur even has a dream that night that uh, um, Francine and DW are bats that are chasing him through the caves. Uh, and he can't get out of the cave, which kind of closes in on him. The stalactites and stalagmites form something that looks like a mouth that kind of traps him in. Uh, I liked this is almost yeah. unintentionally funny in that, like, so the the bats have DW and Francine's head, and they're sort of talking to Arthur as they're chasing him through the cave. Um, and and the things that they're saying, like the, the DW DW is just like. We are coming to get you. <laughs> like, it's so generic. Um, they're all kind of speaking like that guy from the start of uh, Night of the Living Dead, uh, but even more, <laughs> like, wooden. Like, they're like, we are coming for you. It's so, like, stilted that no one would ever find that legitimately scary. But it's funny because it's like, that's what DW thinks is would be scary for Arthur. They're coming to get you, Arthur. <laughs> Look, there's one of them now. Um, my my favorite part of this is Francine's voice as a bat. She she's kind of doing a bit of 
I think it's like a um, almost a Bella Lugosi in kind of the intonation, not the accent. She's just like, wait up, Arthur. <laughs> it was, it, it, yeah, you're right. It, I, I think it's more unintentionally funny than anything else. At this point, we we end up going to the Clark Caves, which I checked. It's not a real. Uh, there are there are places called the Clark Caves, but it's not. Uh, and and the it's the Clark Caves in like a certain park, I think. I forget the name of the park, but I checked at the park too. There are other places named that, but it's not exactly what this would be. Lucas, I think you may have to uh, fill in here because this is where we get who I'm pretty sure, again, we're talking about handsome Arthur characters. I wrote down, is the hot tour guide in any other episodes? <laughs> I, uh, he doesn't even get a name, unfortunately, but I maybe. I know, this dude. Oh, man. He's, he's, Where was this guy all along? He's he's got that very um that very reassuring kind of commanding presence that a uh, a an older but not too much older adult would have as a kid. He's got the like kind of swagger of a guy who's comforting, but he knows how to chop a tree down. Mm. Very outdoorsy. He seems v- very comfortable within the uh, within the caves, which is of course where he works, and uh, that's definitely appealing to a certain type of person. And I can see I can see uh, why you kind of took to this guy. So yeah, they go into the caves. Uh, the Clark Caves at points reminded me. Now I don't remember what part what this was called, but it reminds me of an area from Mass Effect Two. There's like oh my goodness. There's like a certain. Bo- well, I was gonna ask if you've ever actually been spelunking. No, never. Have you? Yeah, I have. Uh, oh, my really? dad. Uh, well, yeah, with the Boy Scouts, we went spelunking once. Uh, and we d- we did we didn't have any bats like fly at us, but we saw them when they were sleeping. Wait, um, wait. It wasn't. Wait a second. You were in the Boy Scouts. Yeah, of course. What do you mean, of course? Way back I wasn't in the, day. In the Boy Scouts. Um, but yeah, I was in the Boy Scouts, and we saw bats, and we had headlamps and everything. Um, and, and yeah, we went into a cave. We didn't go really, it wasn't like this cave that seems like it goes, like they walk for a while and there's like crevasses and stuff. We kind of like, you could always see the mouth of the cave. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, stalactites, stalagmites, and, and some general, some actual regular regular bats. How long were you in the Boy Scouts for? Oh my God. Uh, uh, too long. I don't want to get into this. <laughs> uh, basically as long as you can be in the Boy Scouts. Okay. Well, you're probably, you're probably at least a bit more handy or in survival situations than I am. Pamper, uh, pamper, pampered, uh, pampered boy me. I'm not sure about how much of that information I've retained, but who knows? Fair enough. It's when they're down in the caves that, uh, Arthur is actually actually has a pretty good resolve, all things considered. But the people who end up freaking out at the darkness and at the bats are Francine and Mr. Ratburn. Now, I will say uh, Francine does end up getting her comeuppance here because she ends up totally cracking under pressure. But I kind of don't. It's kind of too bad that Mr. Ratburn has to be just as terrified as Francine. Like they both have like screaming panic attacks where they're like hiding behind things and like. Uh, and th- and that sort of thing. I find that Mr. Ratburn being just as afraid as Francine kind of spoils her comeuppance a little bit. I wonder if they, they the reason they wrote Mr. Ratburn to be scared as well, just because they knew the voice actor is like so good at like <laughs> when like you so it's not often you get to hear Mr. Ratburn like freak out, and it's like he's so good at doing it. Like it's a very funny performance. Whereas Francine's just kind of generally screaming, Mr. Ratburn. It's like a very neurotic like oh god. Yeah, you're right. He he does he does sell it very well. So and it's a de- definitely a different side of Mr. Ratburn than we're used to seeing this afraid of the dark thing. 
So, they, you know, they almost wake up the bats, and Arthur manages to calm everybody down with the uh, the whistling trick that his dad did. And uh, we get one of my least favorite things, group whistling. Uh. Oh, that, that, yeah, they almost purposely make them kind of, like, not quite match up together. <sighs> anyway, it's it's pretty it's pretty brief, all things considered, as they make their way out of the cave. There's actually a, de- a device that the... Uh, the cave instructor, hot cave instructor, introduces where it's like, you know, take nothing but pick. Uh, Will, Will, please, cave daddy. <laughs> oh, no. No, not cave daddy. <laughs> uh. The internet can't get enough of cave daddy. <laughs> no, I, okay, I gotta be honest. I kind of love cave daddy. <laughs> Oh, brother, brother, brother. Okay, yes, Cave Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what he said. Uh, you know, take nothing but pictures. And uh, there's a point where Binky takes a couple of pictures while uh, Ratburn and Francine are freaking out. Then they get to the end. This is the end of the episode. They get outside of the cave, and everybody's teasing Francine for being afraid. And Biggie. I forget who says this, but one person goes, Francine, you were a mess. <laughs> Buster says that. It's like, okay, <laughs> all right. Let's, let's not put it all on Front Street. Let's not call her out. And then uh, Francine tries to deny it, and then uh, Biggie holds up the photographic evidence. The Polaroids. Of both her and Mr. Rapper going ballistic. There's a good one of her just like her mouth her mouth just wide open and her ha- and her hands on her on her face. And then uh, she chases after Binky as he takes more pictures of her. And that's her comeuppance. And that's the end of the episode. Let's rewind it back here. Let's go back to the world record. Lucas, what do you, what did you think of that? Uh, P.U. I really didn't like this episode. Mm. It was, it was like, it, this is probably like one of the most um, damning things we could say on this podcast. Because we always compare Arthur to sort of other uh, cartoons meant for similar age groups. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Arthur is a lot easier to watch as an adult. Like we've watched episodes of Zabuafu and cyber chase before and remarked upon how young those shows feel and how difficult and challenging they could be to watch as an adult. Um, and you never really get that with Arthur. Even the bad Arthur episodes are bad because we're really dissecting these and, and and breaking them down in probably ways that were never really intended. But that's what shows how great Arthur is, is that you can dissect it in this way. Where this episode, this is what is damning about it, is that it felt like an episode of another kid's TV show meant for this age group. Just very general... Um, very surface level, like, oh, world records are fun. Let's try and break one. Um, and it just very, like, no meat to it. Um, almost surprisingly so, like, compared to other Arthur episodes. It's like when you eat, it's the difference between a junior chicken and chicken fries. When you get chicken fries, there's no dang chicken in there. It's just the breading. I think uh, I think you were right on the money with surface level. That's a great uh, description of this. Now, I don't know if I'll go so far as to uh, place my fingers on my nose and say P.U. as you did. By the way, great use of P.U. Um, but there's n- not really anything to this. Like, I'm even looking at the time of our recording right here. Like, I was struggling for things to talk about this episode. It really is. And I think we talked about every single scene G- in the episode, we, too. We did. We really didn't skip through it. Hardly any of it. 
it, the two best, two best things in the episode are Buster's shoulder pads and Arthur with a bag over his head, and that's it. Yeah, the the giant pizza fiasco, like that was my favorite part, and that's not really hardly a part at all. It's just, it's I wouldn't even say like it's a bad episode. It's just strangely very shallow. It's just what you see is what you get. They talk about world records. They try to b- break a world record. They do, and that's pretty much where the episode ends. And you know, it's not even like was it even a world record? It was a record for Elwood City, but I don't know. Like, it's see that's why I think I would consider it a bad episode because in terms of like if we're sort of removing it from Arthur and saying it's just a general episode of TV, no, I wouldn't call any part of it bad. But I think it's bad for Arthur. Like I think now I I, I kind of hold Arthur to a higher standard, and and the fact that this reminded me of other kids' television for the same age group, I think is an overall negative. That's a great point, and I'm hard-pressed to disagree with you. I, I guess um, Arthur episodes that I've considered bad in the past have, like, you know, acti- Been actively bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, not so much actively bad. It's just, like, they have made me be like, what the, what the hell am I watching kind of thing. This one was just... This one, I I think, is just as bi- it's just as bad as being bad. It's boring, and Arthur, even when it's like not great, it's rarely boring. And this, I felt this, I, this was kind of a chore to get through. And it, and at the same time, there har- was hardly anything to talk about or chew on. So it's just like, man, you, it's like you never really need to watch this one. You, you can skip this one, which is weird because we've gone whole seasons without having that type of episode and again this is the season that won an emmy so i don't know <laughs> I keep going back to that i can't wait to figure out which episode won the emmy i mean i listen i, I don't want to get into this right now i i kind of wanted to save it for like our end of season wrap up but like and and you know what before i make a fool of myself i'm gonna double check oh. i'm gonna double check this speaking of lucas you're going to google uh i'm gonna go to google really quickly here i mean how much trust do we put in the Emmys? Uh, Jesus Romero never won a da- an Emmy for Best Late Night. It was never even nominated for Best Late Night Program. Um, and Jesus Romero is is leagues and bounds better than any other late night talk show that has ever existed. So Excellent. Uh, excellent point. I will just say this. The first season of Arthur, which I think is fantastic did not win an Emmy. So, hmm. And uh, The Cave didn't fare a whole lot better for me. But I think that The Cave uh, really benefits from being stuck with world <laughs> record. Yes. I think, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I think my mind is warped now, and I can't look at it objectively, because I think I ended up, like, having a blast watching The Cave. If it was paired with any other Arthur episode, that probably wouldn't be the case. It'd probably be one of those ones where it's like, oh, it's okay. But because it came after World Record, I was like, oh, this is Arthur. It's Arthur. It's, it's like an actual Arthur episode this time. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? That's a great point. Uh, it being stra- uh, strapped with the World Record does kind of improve it. If this if this were put with any other episode, uh, it would definitely be the the lesser of the two. But uh, there's a couple of things in here that I, I'm willing to kind of let it Im- let improve it a little bit. Um, I, I th- and, and I, honestly, I think it's just like little bits here and there. Like Arthur's dream, we both kind of said that was kind of intentionally slash unintentionally funny. There's a couple of funny lines here and there. Like the, ca- the cave dioramas I thought was kind of fun. 
the setting of the cave I thought was very interesting. I thought that was a cool thing to explore. Uh, cave daddy, all that kind of stuff. Um, That's right. We can't say an episode's bad if it's got cave daddy in it. Yeah, it can never be truly bad. But it's just kind of... It, it, I guess uh, I guess it improves on the last on uh, the world record from kind of bad to just meh. Like, I don't really feel anything about it. It's just kind of... Yeah, right. Meh. Yeah, I... Um... I, I I guess I just kind of liked it, and again I I think my mind's warped because I did just watch World Record, yeah, and I was just hungry for some Arthur, uh, some Arthur I could sink my teeth into, uh, and so I ended up actually really enjoying the cave, uh, not like it's not one of my favorite episodes or anything, but it was a, a breath of fresh air after World Record, and and there are lots of good moments like the part where it's Arthur's dad when he was a kid. Um, the, like you said, when we're looking at everyone's dioramas, I kind of liked that Mr. Rapper like freaks out. Uh, that's just fun, and and Muffy getting her just desserts. Um, Francine. The the the. Oh, excuse me. Uh, 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 Francine. Muffy. I'm so used to Muffy getting just yeah. desserts that. That's true. Um, uh, Mr. Rapper and like eating like there's just a lot of little fun jokes in there. The chickens. Mr. Rapper just eating that cheese, uh, and of course, bonus points. Uh, for Cave Daddy. I also kind of like the way this episode ends. Like, it, it's odd. It, it just kind of like, Arthur, uh, 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 Francine and Mr. Rapper get super scared. They run out. Everybody's like, yeah, Francine, you were a mess. You were a complete wreck. And then she's like, no, I wasn't. And then Binky's like, oh yeah, here's some pictures. And then she chases after him and goes, Binky Barnes, when I catch you, I'm going to kill you. And that's like the end of the episode. Um, it was like the end of like a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode or something. Like I could just hear the and like a zoom in on Arthur's face. Kind of like a non-ending, but I think it worked for Huber. Uh, so yeah, I left uh, the cave feeling pretty positively about it. Even though I was expecting an Arthur adaptation of Plato's, Plato's Allegory, uh, I was pleasantly surprised. Can uh, one of our loyal Elwood City Limits listeners edit that for us? The Curb Your Enthusiasm ending to the ending of the cave. Much, pre- much appreciated. <laughs> Please and thank you. All right. So that there it is. The world record in the cave. Not exactly the more a more positive review of either of those. But what did you think? Uh, make sure that you uh, get, get at us on social media by email. And, uh, of course, keep listening to Elwood City Limits. That's going to do it for this week. And we want to thank you very much. Uh, for listening to this episode. Lucas, the next time that we are convening on an episode of Elwood City Limits, it uh, so the, these ones, I think from the name alone, uh, are going to be provoking some more discussion. So if you thought this episode was a bit light on discussion, just wait until next time. It's The Lousy Week, and you are Arthur. Whoa. I'm Arthur? I'm Arthur. You're Arthur. She's Arthur. Everyone is Arthur. And there you go. That's I think I think there's going to be a lot to say about those two, so worry not. Uh, my name's Will Young, and that's going to do it for Elwood City Limits. Thanks again uh, for listening. For Lucas Mancini. Hey, I want to go lunking too. We'll see you next time.